Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. So I want everyone, if you would, everybody okay? You awake? Shake your neighbor, tell them, wake up, the preacher's on the stage. All right, now, I want you to grab your Bibles if you have one, or you can refer to the screen up here. We're going to go to the book of Psalms, chapter 34. Um, and then uh, today is Communion Sunday, but I've asked our uh, ushers to wait on that until the end of the message, so you don't want to leave early because you don't want to miss Communion today. But I want to put at, at the end because I've got a special, special thing we're going to do with it today. All right? We're finishing our series today on the forces of life, and... Uh, I really appreciate all of you who have, who have brought great feedback concerning this message and talked about how it's impacted your life and caused you to get some uh, legs on change, right? And, it, it, and these resources, these thoughts I've brought to you, of, many of you have been to, you put them into action concerning your habits or new thoughts, uh, the way that you sow seeds, um, uh, your belief system, all those kinds of things, these are forces in your life, and if you will grab a hold of that force and make it work for you, because see, these forces are taking us right into our future, attitude, our value, all kinds of things. And so we have to learn what those things are, identify them, and then put them into practice, into work for us, amen, and not just let them take us to wherever they're taking us, but understand that we have a responsibility as the children of God to live our lives for Him, to make the right kind of choices, to be accountable with our lives, to live good lives, Amen? To live good, wholesome, Christian lives. And so these forces are, are at work in your life. Whether you want to acknowledge them or not, they're there, and they're taking your life where you're going. And today, we're going to finish this series, this is part six, with the force of your words, the force of the words that are coming out of your mouth. Powerful. Powerful. By the way, I want to just commend you, all of you in here today, who gave toward our military Bible stick program as we've been raising funds for, uh, we were looking to help 100 soldiers getting an MP3 uh, New Testament Bible into their hands through the ministry Faith Comes By Hearing. That's what it looks like right there. It says actual size. It's not actually that size. <laughs> but uh, when, when they called me and asked me about this, it was $25 for for them to get an MP3 player plus a Bible on CD and the opportunity for them to get free Bibles for their families back home. I really was intrigued by that. We love doing whatever we can to help our military. Really appreciative of uh, the United States military and what they're doing uh, for us and for the cause of freedom and for other countries as well. I'm grateful to live in the greatest nation on, on the entire planet. United States of America is, we are privileged to live in this country. Amen. Amen. And I'll never, never lose your gratitude for that. The moment you do, get on the plane, go to Uganda. You'll get grateful real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You're really blessed. We are all very blessed and very fortunate to live here. Um, that being said, we were looking to raise $2,500 for uh, 100 soldiers. And last week, we came in to the service after three weeks of giving with a $1,000 deficit. Yet, And last week was the last Sunday that we were going to receive offerings. So... Um, I encourage you, brought little Ian in here, and he told us his inspiring story, uh, how he sold hugs, five-year-old Ian, and raised money for two soldiers. Is that awesome or what? 50 bucks, 50 plus dollars also gave to an orphanage as well, but just amazing. And, uh, but it inspired our people, and by the end of that service, by the end of the giving, 1,500 more dollars came in in one setting. So 
$3,000, more than what we were expecting, more than what we were believing for. And I just want to say thank you to all of you so much for making a difference. Amen. Yeah, just, just give yourself a pat on the back. Just, way to go me. All right. Now, see, you know what? Most people, they underestimate the power of their words. They, they have a difficult time accepting the fact that mere words create a response from the world around us. When you and I choose our words wisely, what we do is empower ourselves to avoid a lot of potential crisis and hardships and trouble in the world. With our words, we can create a course of events or a memory or a moment that can be very damaging and hurtful and, and, uh, and ugly and hateful, or we can do the same thing with, by being life-giving, uh, peaceful, joyful, encouraging, promoting health. Are you out there today? Not only for ourselves, but also for the people that God surrounds us with. Grandpa went to sleep one Sunday afternoon for a nap, and so the grandkids decided they are going to have a little fun with him. And while he laid there fast asleep, they rubbed some Limburger cheese in his mustache. And Grandpa woke up to that odor and said, what in this living room stinks? And so he got up and he made his way into the kitchen and found out the kitchen smelled the exact same way. And he made his way down the hallway and peeked into each room and everything smelled like Limburger cheese. And finally, in a desperate attempt to get some fresh air, he burst out the front door, took a big breath in and said, the whole world stinks. <laughs> but what you in here today must understand that just like grandpa, that you don't even realize the stink that's in your life is being created by something right under your nose. And when you underestimate the power of your words, you assume that your trouble is being generated by something outside here, rather than realizing that the trouble is right under your nose, formed and shaped by mere words. Psalm chapter 34, have you found it? In verse 12, it says, who is the man who desires life? Is anybody in here today? Who's the man who desires life? And loves many days. And that he may see good. Yeah, we all want to see good. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. To experience the life that we want in long life and seeing good is predicated by our own mouth. Yeah, your silence, uh, I, I, I feel it right now. Ooh, yeah. It's true. You can't just spew evil out of your mouth and expect to see good days. You can't continually talk divorce if you're trying to make your marriage work. Right. Amen. If, if, if you don't enjoy just anything happening to you, then stop letting just anything come out of your mouth. Amen. I mean, I hear things like, uh, well, my nephew disrupts every service in this church, doesn't he? This is Max. He's just, actually, he's just saying amen. He's, just, he's with me. He's with me. He's hungry. Mom finally decided to feed him. I'm just kidding, Jen. You're a good mom. It's my sister. Got to pick on her a little bit still. Remind her who the older brother is. Um, if you, uh, I, I mean, I, I counsel people, and I'm, I, I mean, that's my life. People are in my life, and I hear them say stuff like, you know, I just can't seem to get ahead. I can, it never works out for me. Like, as soon as I get any kind of extra money, something breaks down in my house, right? It's two steps forward. It's three steps back, Pastor. I don't know what to do. Can't ever get ahead. But I hear people say this all the time. And the problem is they just don't think their words are making that much of a difference. Don't even realize it. 
And, uh, and they all have this, this commonality. It's, and most of the time, it's these negative things. Oh, it's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. Right? It's the, it's the economy's fault. It's the house I was raised in, the family I have. It's the spouse I'm married to. <laughs> right? It's the blacks' fault. It's the whites' fault. It's the Mexicans. Somebody else to be blamed, right? Mm, I know none of you have said any of that stuff, and I'm so grateful to be married to, to pastor a church that's so above that. All right, Joel chapter 3 and verse 10 says this. Let the weak say, let the weak say, I am strong. Why? What's the point of the weak person saying they're strong if they're not? Why should the sick and hurting say they are healed if indeed they're suffering? Why should the poor say that they are rich if they're just scraping by? Why should the shackled declare they're free if they just keep on repeating the same sin over and over again? Here's why. Because it all starts with a word. This building didn't just show up. Somebody started talking about a building. And out of that talking, things happened. It all begins with a word. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, it all begins with a word. This should be no surprise to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. He spoke into the infinite darkness called outer space, and changed and dispelled that darkness with words. Changed the environment. Changed the situation with words. So it shouldn't be any surprise to you that when you speak, things happen. Because, see, you're created in his image. That means you're going to get the same results he does. When he speaks, things happen. When you speak, things happen. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, so you might as well acknowledge it and use it to your benefit. And let the words of your life frame the world ahead of you to good things. Amen. I think I'm preaching better than you're amening, but I'm going to stay with you. You're created in his image. So when you open your mouth and declare light, then light is what you get. Your words are framing that world. And if you're not weighing your words, then you are taking your precious life right into a verbal prison. People live in verbal prisons all the time. Verbal prisons sound something like this. I hate my house. I hate my job. I hate this. I hate my body. I hate my hair. Man, it got quiet in here. Let's, <laughs> let's all just do ourselves a big favor today, all right? And come to the realization that maturity requires us to change our opinion over time. How many of you found that to be true? You used to to be so dead set on an opinion, and then the older you got, the stupider you felt about it. And realized, you know, I better better just change the way I'm thinking right now. Yeah. Amen. Tell your neighbor he's talking to me today. All right. I see, I do, I see people form and express their opinions before that they've matured. They're called kids. Got three of them in my house. And my 14-year-old does not mind me and Heather hearing her opinion every second of every day. (laughs) Loves to express it. 
But the problem is, is that when so many people, they, make, they pledge allegiance to their opinion yeah. until it sets up like concrete in their lives. Yeah. And see, now they've encased themselves in a verbal prison. And so then they spend the rest of their lives on a mission to tell everybody that what they've been saying after all these years is true. I saw this before my eyes watching public access TV in Austin, Texas one time, and a man was about to receive lethal injection. And so he had a few last words to say. He had killed innocent people, shot them, killed them, and he was paying for his crime. I love the state of Texas. Anyway, um, <laughs> he uh, paying for his crime. And this is what he had to say. This is what alcohol did to me. So don't drink. It'll destroy your life. Amen. And I looked at my friend. I said, the guy still hasn't learned this lesson. He's still not taking responsibility. He's blaming it on beer. Yeah. Like, like the alcohol had the power to do anything. Like the alcohol like jumped into a shopping cart, and then when he got home, it shoved itself down his throat and threw a gun in his hand and said, now go run amok, kill people. <laughs> I can't help it. It's the alcohol. <laughs> oh! No! He made the choice. Now, I'm not saying alcohol didn't help. Had to numb himself real good before he did it, but he made the choice to murder. But even in his dying breath, he was on his mission to express his ignorant, immature, and fault-finding opinion. So learn to use words as a positive force in your life. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Wow, are words powerful or what? A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. There is one who speaks like piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who, eat, those who love it, that is, will eat its fruit. Now, I've showed this to you before, but I think it's important that I just want a good laugh. Everybody do this for a moment. I just want to see all of you do this. You all look so silly. All right, do this right here. Now, I, I'm, I'm, some of you are not, are not very good class participants, but that's okay. All right. Um, this right here, this is what this word is talking about. The death and life are in the power of the tongue. That word power is the Hebrew word yad, Y-A-D, and it means hand. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. That is whatever you're talking about, you're attaching yourself to. Like that kid in Christmas story who stuck his tongue to the frozen pole. He's stuck. Where his tongue is stuck, his life is stuck. Right? What your tongue is stuck on, your life is stuck on. I want to give you quickly six ways to use your words as a positive force in your life. All right? Six ways. You want to write these things down, you're welcome to. Number one, speak to build others up. Speak to build others up. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for a necessary edification. No, it's necessary to be edified. It's necessary. We, have, we need edification and we need to be built up. People need it. It's good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. You know, stuff like, great job, man, or way to go. You're doing awesome. Or shake it off, man. Keep going. Come on, you can do it. Hmm? How many of you heard those words before? How many of, the, how, how many of you those, did those words help? Yeah. 
Huh? Yeah. Keep going. It's those simple words. They, they just go such a long way. And so I want to encourage you, get it in your life. Get it in your mouth. Get it in your house. Amen. If you come from a negative family, make your family a positive family. Huh? Just because you were raised in that home doesn't mean you have to produce that home. Amen. Get it into the culture of your family. It might be awkward at first. Being encouraging. I don't understand that, but I guess it can be. Once again, I have kids, and they act like it's the weirdest thing in the world to be nice to each other. You know? <laughs> so if, if sometimes I'll say, all right, now I want you to say 10 nice things right now. And they're like, oh, 10? I can't think of one, Dad. Can, can you meet me halfway? Right? I mean, if it's awkward for you to encourage someone, press through that. Get over that. It shouldn't be awkward to us. Hmm? Look for the good. Eventually, it's what you'll find. That's true. Make a new habit. Verse, verse 2. This is Eric Holler's Bible up here I'm giving you. Uh, according to the book of Eric. Verse 2. Talk about talk without complaining and arguing. Yeah. You know what Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 gives us a great challenge. It says, do all things without complaining and arguing. Do all things without complaining. Talk about politics without complaining and arguing. <laughs> Talk sports without complaining and arguing. By the way, Jeremy, how about those Texas Rangers, huh? I just want all you Boston Red Sox fans to know that we came to play baseball. And you didn't. All right. Do all things without complaining and arguing. There was a monk who uh, was at a monastery, and the rules at this monastery were, were that you could only say two words every seven years. Man, imagine a world like that. Two words every seven years. Seven years went by, and he had two words to say, and they were bed hard. Seven more years went by. It was his turn to say his two words, and he said, food bad. Another seven years goes by, and he finally said, I quit. <laughs> and the man told him, good, all you ever do is complain. <laughs> it's not about how often, listen to me, it's not about how often that you make the complaint, though, but how much of your conversation is just complaining in its nature. Most complainers don't even realize they're doing it because it's been so long since they made a formal complaint. Right? They don't realize that that's how their life is. Their expressions are filled with these innuendos, of, innuendos that reek with complaining. Hmm? Don't be like that. Don't complain. Don't let it creep into your conversation. Arguments also. Besides complaining, arguing, they can close the door to future relationships. It's very true. They create verbal prisons that are very hard to get out of. I was telling the early service, I used to love now, um, having, um, I used to love my doorbell ring, and there were two Mormons standing there. Man, oh man, I was like, come on in. Yeah. I mean, I was a debater, arguer, and I love to let them hear it. I love Mormons. I do. I've got a lot of Mormon friends, but at, at, at the time, I just didn't, I couldn't reconcile it. And, uh, and so, because I wanted to argue. And man, I mean, we'd get in heated arguments and well, I don't want to tell you all the mean things. But anyway, I'm ashamed of it. But finally one day, a doorbell rang, and there were two young men there, and it was very hot outside. And uh, I invited them in. I said, you boys want some water? 
And uh, they said, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So gave them some ice water, and they were cooling down there. Thank you very much. They said, we don't, nobody ever offers us water. And uh, I said, well, that's, that's kind of a shame. So we sat and talked, and you know what? We had differences. Big differences. <laughs> Big differences. But I didn't argue with them. Even on the inside, that little that little wild animal was screaming to come out. <laughs> but I just, I just, you know, basically we, when we understood that we totally disagreed, right? But it was cordial, and they left, and a few days later, I was driving down 380, and it was nighttime, and they were walking, so I'm walking. So I pulled over and said, hey, you boys want to ride? And they said, oh, yeah. So they jumped in the car. They said, you know what? We, we, have a, we, we call you, you know what we call you? I said, you call me something? They said, yeah. We call you the nice pastor. I was like, really? They were like, yeah, yeah, pastors don't treat us like that. And uh, man, I tell you what, I I, I was just eating crow. I was, all those years, I just went back through all those years that I had wasted on arguments instead of sowing seeds of kindness trying to prove my point rather than just being kind. And I don't know whatever happened to those fellas. Maybe I'm hoping that they came to Christ. But I know that arguing never solved anything, but kindness opened a door. Arguments, they can, they can close the door real quick. And now listen to me, disagreements, they can provide a good, healthy exchange of thoughts, ideas, and perspectives. But arguments, they benefit no one and usually cause irreparable harm. Amen. Amen. And it's important that you learn the difference or you'll learn the lesson. Okay. Now, are you ready? Number three, stick with me. You're going to love this one. Don't talk too much. (laughs) Don't talk too much. The New International Version in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 11 says, The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? (laughs) Hmm? It's true, and we're talking, talking, talking all the time. Yeah. I, I, I did a little experiment one time coming from my, uh, a, a stoplight, which is about half a mile from my home, and I thought, I'm going to see how many drivers are on their cell phone in this half mile from this light to my house. Passed up six cars, and four of the six drivers were on their cell phone. Just, just talking, 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 talking. Listen to me. If you're talking so much, then you really cannot be careful to weigh your words. What's coming out of your mouth? Uh, Proverbs chapter uh, uh, 10, verse 19 says, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Yeah. Excessive talking, all it does is just cheapens your words. The price goes up when there's a shortage. Amen. People, people want to listen to what you say if you will be more of a listener than you will be a talker. Right? You know the old saying. That's why you have two ears and one mouth. Do twice as much listening as you do talking. Yeah. But you know, I, I, there's, there's, you can't put a value on someone who will listen to you. A good listener. Really, really listen to you. It's true. Because we've all experienced the conversation with someone where we're real excited about something, you know. 
or, or you have some, some big event to talk to them about, and as soon as you go to talk to them, you, all of a sudden, they remember something that they want to tell you right in the middle of your conversation. So they're like, yeah, hurry up. Uh-huh. Like, they're trying to hurry you up so they can tell you something even more exciting, right? So they're just waiting for you to, to, to just stop for one moment so they can jump in and, tell, and trump your story, right? Like, you'll tell them something really exciting, and you know, you know you've lost them halfway through the story. So you're trying to keep the momentum, you know? And, and then, then you run, you know, then, then they jump in and, and they say something like, oh, that's nothing, man. <laughs> nothing? I was, why am I so excited about it then? It's nothing? I'm not telling you anything anymore. You're no fun. Don't listen to me. Jesus said, whatever you want men to do to you, do to them. Before you, get, before you give your, your expert advice, Learn what the problem is first. Yeah. Amen. I tell you, a lot, a lot of good advice you can give people comes from you just listening. I don't know how many times I've sat with people in my office and they'll just talk, 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 talk. Hour, hour go by, hour and a half go by. I just sit and listen. Then they're like, I feel better, Pastor. Thank you. All right, well, have a good day. I didn't say anything to them. There's an old saying that says, it's better to be silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Proverbs 10, 19, like I said, when words are many, sin is not absent, all right? So weigh your, weigh your words. Take time to weigh your words. Think about the things that you're talking about. Number four, speak without gossiping. Yeehaw. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. We've been looking over Proverbs every Wednesday night here. We've been walking through it verse by verse. So some of you guys, that are people that have been here on Wednesday nights, you're going to see a lot of scriptures that you recognize. Um, so anybody, all of you are welcome here on Wednesday nights. I don't see this many people on Wednesday nights for some reason. Yeah. I know, you're busy. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 26, 20 says, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. See, it's, gossip's never as accurate as it's made out to be. You remember playing the game when you got in a line of people and you said a phrase and then they repeated it and they repeated it and it come at the end, everybody had a good laugh because it wasn't even close to what it began as, right? It always becomes a distortion of the, of the real information. And gossipers, they're small people in life. They're usually, they usually have poor self-esteem and have nothing better to do except take their time to talk about other people. Always exalting themselves on somebody else's faults. So don't go there. Don't gossip. Because it usually generates from someone who's bitter or they've got an ax to grind. Hmm? And if you're ever, ever in your life tempted to gossip, I want you to write down Proverbs chapter 6 and go refer to the seven things which the Lord hates. And then remind yourself, hey, man, get a life. <laughs> and be on your way. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I can't think of one good thing that gossip has ever produced. But I can think of, I know lots of stories and lots of people, myself included, that have been damaged by it, been hurt by it, misjudged, lied about, wronged because of it. Amen. It's just a cancer that'll eat away at the very fibers of your relationships. Family, close friends, it just tears people apart. Yeah. You know what? It's of the devil. 
And it really has no place in the life of the people of God. Amen. 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 Number five, speak without criticizing others. How to get positive, the, the force of positive words working in your life. Speak without criticizing others. The message translation of Luke 6, 37 says, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Yeah. I don't understand what it is about being in ministry that I find so many opinions about how I ought to be running the church or what I ought to be doing, what ministry I ought to be starting and how I should be doing this. I'm, when I was leading worship, it was like, your songs are too fast or they're too slow or they're too loud or they're too new or they're too old or you're dumb, you know. <laughs> and I finally, I finally figured out after a while, after, after they would just wreck my life, you know, like, I can't do this, you know. I finally figured out you're just not going to please everybody. You just got to do what you got to do, right? Not going to please everybody. I, I would just like to see some people, the very same people, to see me show up at their business and say, you're not doing that right. You need to fix that right there. If I were you, I'd be doing this. I'd be doing that. That is good preaching. Thank you, Candace. But the critic, they live in a very small place. It's called their own mind. <laughs> they offer criticism from the grandstands. You know, we're all sports experts out here, right? You know, you're watching your favorite team. You idiot! What do you do? That guy's 50 times as talented and as fast as you are, you know? But you're going to tell him what you would have done. But, so I just want to encourage you. If you, if, you know, you're limited to a place in the grandstands and you're not on the playing field, at least be a cheerleader. Amen. Cheer your team on. All right. Number six and the last one. Speak at the highest level of your faith. Speak at the highest level of your faith. All of us are at different levels concerning our faith. Faith is a growing thing. So we're all at different levels, different strengths in our faith. But I want to encourage you to speak at the highest level of your faith. Don't undermine your faith, and don't overdo it either. I am a billionaire. You know, you got 30 cents in the bank, you know. Let's, let's take some reasonable steps, you know. Seriously. Speak at the highest level of your faith. Where are you in your faith? Christians get so weird about their faith. They do. They get so protective of it, you know. Somebody says, you know, you need more faith. <laughs> How dare you tell me I need more faith. I need more faith. It all been out of shape. When you, when you read the Gospels, Jesus is saying to the disciples, where is your faith? Oh, you have little faith. A real disciple wants to hear where they are in their faith so that they can know how to grow. Hmm? Don't defend your faith. Defend the Bible. Amen. <laughs> Heather was diagnosed with a fibroid tumor when she was six months pregnant with Dylan. And um, it, was a, uh, it was a little scary time in our lives. They were trying to um, forego the, 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 to delay the surgery uh, until after the baby was born, but she was just having this immense pain. 
And so they finally decided we need to go ahead and do surgery. And um, so they, and the doctor explained to us what a fibroid tumor looks like, that it's, it lays on whatever it attaches itself to. So there's a lot of cutting. And, um, and it, was, it was very delicate surgery, obviously, with the boy growing in the womb. And so I just asked her, I said, honey, where, where's your faith in this deal? Where are you? Because I'm going to attach my faith to your faith. This is your body. What, do you, what are you believing for? And she said, well, I know that I have a good doctor. I know that God has provided me with a good doctor, so this is where I'm at. I believe that when he does the surgery, that there's going to be no complications. They're going to cut that fibroid away easily, and I'm going to have a healthy baby boy. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Right now. Amen. You know? Because, you know, I have a tendency to, to overshoot sometimes. I want to say, we'll just say, cancer be gone, or, or, you know, tumor be gone. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not deriding that at all, because I, I think there are moments where that, I know there are moments where that happens, right? That, that you speak to it, and your faith is there. I mean, the thing just got, we've seen cancers just disappear. Just disappear, gone. No, 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 without a trace, no explanation, except the hand of God, right? Amen. You've seen it. I believe it. This is where we were. And so I said, okay, honey. Then we just started praying and believing God at that, at that level of her faith. And so she had surgery. 45 minutes later, it was supposed to take several hours. 45 minutes later, the doctor comes out. I'm like, okay, why is he out here? He saw where my faith is. <laughs> anyway, he said, uh, he said done. She's, she's recovering right now. I said, that was very quick. He said, I've never seen anything like it before in my life. He said, he said and he showed me again how that tumor lays over whatever it's attached to. He said, this fibroid tumor was kind of floating out like this, and there was just a stalk that was stuck to it. He said, I just snipped the stalk, sewed her back up. She's going to be just fine. Wow. And she was fine, and our boy, our baby boy Dylan was born just fine and as healthy as can be. And I am grateful to God to have a woman who was honest about where she was in faith and used her faith, and God granted her faith. Amen. God granted the answer to her faith. Amen. So I just want to tell you, so speak at the highest level of where you're at, of your faith. Paul said this, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. See, everyone has thoughts of doubt. Discouragement comes through across all of our minds. It does. And fears and worries and all those things, they enter in more often times than we really want to admit, right? But the same that produces that stuff also produces hope and dreams and faith-filled thoughts. It's that same mind that says, what if something bad happens? Is also the same mind that says, what if something good happens? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Paul spoke in alignment with his faith, and you must choose to speak in alignment with your faith. Never your doubts. Even if you have doubtful thoughts, only verbally acknowledge your faith. Amen. Just verbally acknowledge your faith. Just because you're doubting doesn't mean you have to talk about your doubts. Do us all a favor and don't. Amen. A thought increases in power when it's spoken. Whatever you speak, it increases in your life. So I want to encourage you today, give your faith a voice. Give your faith a voice. Now, at this time today, I want to encourage our ushers right now, if you would, just take the communion elements and begin to pass them around. And we're going to finish today's uh, service today with our covenant meal. Now, we don't require anybody here to be a member of One Cause Church to receive communion. The only requirement is, is that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Yeah. You put your faith in him and you consider yourself a child of God, then so do we. Yeah. All right? Amen. That's the only thing. 
you rest on the hope that only Jesus saves. Amen. He died for your sins. He was buried in that tomb, and he rose again three days later. Yes. And anybody who believes that receives everlasting life. I love the simplicity of the gospel. Yes. The Bible says the gospel is the power. The gospel is the power. Are you hearing me today? Yes. The gospel Amen. is the power of God unto salvation. It really is. There are lots of messages, ladies and gentlemen, that are being told how, how one becomes a Christian. Lots of messages. Oh, you must turn from your sin. You must repent. I, I don't have the ability to repent until I first believe. The Bible tells me to believe on the Lord. And then when I believe, then I'm granted the ability to repent. That is to change the way I think. I didn't need to just turn over a new leaf. I needed a new life. I didn't need to just get better thoughts in my head. I was dead in my sins. I needed a Savior to come and save me and, and deliver me from that dark place. Praise God, once he did, oh man, he gave me the ability to walk this Christianity out on a daily basis, daily renewing my mind to his word. It takes you a lifetime to wrap your mind around the reality of your born-again experience. So be patient with yourself. Be patient and keep moving forward. Today, we're going to move forward. Today, we're going to move forward. This is a covenant meal. This is, this is representative of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. His body was broken for us, and his body was broken for us for a reason, so that we can be healed. And his blood was shed for us. His blood was shed for us for a reason, because sin could not be wiped away if his blood hadn't been shed. But since it was, our sins have all been wiped away. Thank the Lord. So we do this today. The Bible says that we do this and we proclaim the Lord's death. That's awesome about covenant. There was a, there was a previous covenant before called the covenant of the law, law of Moses, when the, God invited all the children of Israel once he brought them out of Egypt to come up to the mountain. And they saw these lightning and the thunder and the smoke and they were like, don't think so. Don't believe we're going to go up there. So they sent Moses up there and said, you just tell God whatever he tells us, we can do it. I mean, oh, the arrogance of man. You just tell him whatever he says, we can do it. God said, okay, wrote the 10 commandments, right? Just 10 things. And we've been breaking them ever since. We've been breaking them. We're, we don't have the ability in ourselves to do that. And there was this covenant of the law. And the law said something like this, thou shalt not, thou shalt not thou shalt not, or thou shalt. It was these commands. And if you do this, then you'll receive blessing. If you don't do this, then you will receive cursing, right? This was this covenant of the law. You do this, then this can happen. But now we have a new covenant. Thank God for the new covenant. That's a better covenant established on better promises, backed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what that new covenant sounds like. It's God says, I will. Not thou shalt. I will write my laws on your heart. I will write my laws on your mind. I will be merciful to you. I will remember your sins no more. From thou shalt to I will. My God. Does that empower us to live a better life or what? And so today in this covenant meal, you know what God will do for you and what he has done for you. Amen. But I want you to make a commitment with your mouth today. 
I want you to commit your words to the Lord. And in receiving this today, I want you to say, you, you will. So Father, I will. I will. I'll honor you with my life. I'll weigh the words that come out of my mouth because I understand that they're extremely powerful. And today I break bread with my Savior and make a commitment. I will. I will let grace flow from my mouth. I will let kind words come from my lips. I will be a builder. I will be an encourager. I will speak good things, right things, holy things. Come on. Anybody here with me today? Yes. All right. Amen. Amen. I want you to just take about 30 seconds there and you just make that commitment to him. It's all because he did it for you, what he's done for you. You're not doing this to receive blessing. You're doing this because you are blessed. You're not doing this so you can be in good graces with God. You already are in good graces. That's the beauty of this covenant. God has made it. God has made the way. He's provided you with everything that you need for life. So, Father, we do. We just commit to you to weigh our words and to speak words of health and life. Thank you, Father. Teach us, Lord, to understand that every day that you give us, it's a gift. And what we do in that day is our gift back to you. Thank you, Lord. The Bible teaches us that Jesus broke bread. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup after they had dined together. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. And remember, it's of me. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment. <clears throat> I'm about to release you. I just want to take a very important moment here. And I want to invite you today if you're here with us at one cause today I'm so glad you're here you're here today and the Lord has spoken to you and you feel you feel the spirit of God you sense him knocking on your heart today helping you encouraging you admonishing you correcting you if need be but there's some of you here I don't know everybody in the room today if you have a right relationship with God but you're not, you don't have a relationship with God based on anything that you do. It's totally what Jesus has done for you. And your acknowledgement of him doing that for you brings you into a right relationship with God. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Eric, I have no idea my, my place with God. I don't know God. I haven't received Jesus as my Savior. But today I want to confess him as Lord of my life. Today I want this new life. I want to be born again. I want to be saved I want to receive that free gift of salvation where all my sins are washed away. And I can know that God as my Father, not just as God, but as my Father, and I can know that heaven is my home. When I leave this earth, life really just begins. If that's you here today and you want me to pray for you, I want you to just raise your hand right now. I want to be saved today. 
It's just as simple as believing on Jesus. Anyone here today acknowledge that, that you need God? Anybody here today away from God and you just want to come back to him today? You, need, you understand today that you need God, <laughs> that you put your faith in him at one time and that you've walked away? Anybody? Thank you. Yeah. Father, thank you right now for your help for these who have raised their hands. God, I thank you for your grace that abounds to them. Thank you right now, Lord, that you don't condemn. Hallelujah. You set free. Father, I thank you for your grace right now as they just make the decision to come back to God in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.